Welcome to On Attachment, a place to learn about how attachment shapes the way we experience dating, love, and relationships. I'm your host, relationship coach and attachment expert, Stephanie Rigg, and I'm really glad you're here. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of On Attachment. In today's episode, I'm going to be answering all of your questions around sex and attachment. So talking about how our attachment styles influence the way we experience and relate to sex, how that might raise its own unique issues and how to really overcome them, having a level of self-awareness and sensitivity to your particular needs, preferences, and growth edges from an attachment point of view as it relates to sex. So super valuable. And, you know, I've been talking about this on Instagram over the past week or so and have been really inundated with people saying that it resonates with them and that they thought that they were alone in having these struggles or they've never felt so understood. And so I just want to emphasize that because I think that sex is one of those areas where the vast majority of us do carry a level of shame. And so to the extent that you're having issues in your relationship on the sexual front, it's really easy to internalize those to create a story whereby we're telling ourselves there must be something wrong with us. If our partner doesn't want to have sex or if there's some change in the sexual dynamic, then something's very wrong. And we sort of go into this, you know, catastrophizing and and really carrying a lot of weight around that, um, but also not talking about it because the shame feels too much. So hopefully we can dispel some misconceptions and arm you with greater knowledge, both of yourself and of your partner, so that if and when these problems arise or these differences arise in your relationships, you're better equipped to approach them from a more grounded and secure and confident place. Before I dive into that, just a reminder that I am holding a masterclass next week on sex and attachment, so very much in keeping with today's theme. It's going to be a 90-minute live masterclass, really unpacking, you know, how attachment styles influence sex, what that usually looks like, what that dynamic in an anxious avoidant relationship, which I think, you know, a lot of people who are already coming along, fall into that bucket, trying to navigate the differences between, you know, an anxious partner and an avoidant partner and how that shows up sexually um, and really equipping you with the tools that you need to become more secure in your relationship to sex. So if you're interested in that, definitely head to the link in the show notes and sign up. As I said, it's a 90 minute live masterclass, but you'll also have lifetime access to the recording. So lots of value. And I would love to see you there if this is something that you're looking for some extra support with. Okay. I also want to share the review of the week in case you didn't listen to last week's episode. This is a new segment that I'm doing at the beginning of each episode to share one of the reviews that's been left over the past week. Just a way to say thank you for taking the time to leave a review. Also to encourage people to do that. Um, It really is so helpful for me Um, And if I read out your review, you can send me a message on Instagram or an email and I will send you a small gift as a way to say thank you for taking the time. 
So this week's review is from Molly and it says, Stephanie, your content has truly helped me navigate an abrupt breakup that came out of nowhere. Your calming voice, very straightforward and kind way of wording things and powerful insight has changed the game for me. I signed up for your higher love course after listening to your podcast, which has helped me honor myself and get to a place where I know what I deserve and what I truly want for my next relationship. You have been instrumental in my healing journey. Thank you. I'm so grateful for the work that you do. Thank you, Molly. That is such a beautiful review. And I am so grateful for you for sharing and for taking the time. So please, if you're listening to this, Molly, uh, reach out to me on Instagram and I will send you a small gift. Thank you. Okay. With that out of the way, let's dive into answering your questions around sex and attachment. So these were questions that people sent in through Instagram last week when I put the call out. The first one that I'm going to answer is, will casual sex be a bad idea for anxiously attached people? And I received a couple of variations on this. Another one, which was, you know, how to not get so attached after sex as an anxiously attached person. And what I want to say here is I, I would never tell someone it's a bad idea for them to, you know, have casual sex. Like as an anxiously attached person, I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't be doing anything that you want to do, right? Right. But what I will say is I think for many anxiously attached people, sex is an inherently emotional behavior and experience. And as a result of that, two things sort of happen. They're less likely to be interested in no strings attached casual sex. And if they do have sex with someone, they are likely to feel in some way emotionally bonded to them or develop some level of attachment to them. I suppose the way that I kind of come at this is instead of making yourself wrong for that. So, you know, the thing that I hear a lot is, ah, I wish I wasn't so, I wish I was better at having casual sex. I wish I, you know, could just have no strings attached sex. Like other people I see doing that, there must be something wrong with me. You know, oh, I'm so insecure. I'm not good at doing that, whatever. I actually don't, love that story. And I want to encourage you, if that's a story you tell yourself to let go of that and look at it from a different angle, which is sexual empowerment, you know, sexual liberation, being sexually secure is not a contest of who can have the, you know, most casual sex without developing feelings for someone. I think there's a bit of a cultural narrative here, which says that if you're sexually liberated and sexually confident, then you'll naturally embrace having casual sex with lots of people. And don't get me wrong, this isn't a a moral or a righteous stance. And certainly for some people, having casual sex is really empowering. But I think for a lot of anxiously attached people, that's just not going to come naturally to you. And that's okay. I think being sexually secure is knowing yourself and honoring what you know about yourself and creating boundaries for yourself that reflect what you know is right for you and what supports you to feel safe and secure and what helps you to feel good in experiencing sex. And to my mind, telling yourself that you should want something that you don't or that you should be comfortable in a situation that you're not comfortable with, that's not being secure. That's not like, oh, (laughs) that's not confidence, right? Uh, That's not how you become more sexually evolved by just gritting your teeth and bearing it, so to speak, and forcing yourself into situations that just don't feel right to you. So perhaps it's not the answer you're looking for. But what I would say is, you know, if you are someone who doesn't feel comfortable with casual sex, if that's not 
something that feels good for you. That's important feedback, right? That your body's giving you. That doesn't actually work for me. If I'm feeling rejected or insecure, unsure of myself or anything else after sex, that's a really good sign that, you know, that's maybe not meeting your needs. So really encouraging you to back yourself on what you know is right for you and what you know is not right for you rather than trying to force yourself to do it someone else's way because you've told yourself that that's what it would look like if you were more, you know, secure or normal or confident or anything else. Confidence comes from knowing what's right for you and standing by that. So I suppose this is just really a permission slip to say no to casual sex if that doesn't work for you rather than trying to make yourself fine with it. I suppose the other thing that I'd add to that is I think that, you know, hookup culture has really created pressure on people to be fine with that, even if they're not. So, you know, whether that's dating apps or anything else, there's this sense of, you know, I have to engage in casual sex because that's just the status quo. That's what people expect. That's the norm. And if I don't do that, no one's going to want to date me. Uh, And again, I don't know if that's a story you're telling yourself. And if that resonates as you're hearing me say this, I just want to tell you, the kind of person that you want to be in a relationship with will respect whatever boundaries you're going to put in place around your sexuality. The kind of person who you're wanting to build a secure and healthy, loving relationship with is not going to turn around and walk away because you don't want to have sex with them until you feel comfortable, until you feel like you know them or until you're exclusive or whatever else. Like you're absolutely entitled to set those boundaries and the right kind of partner is going to respect them and honor them. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that you have to fall into line. You have to behave a certain way in order to be, you know, almost like competitive in the market. It seems a bit grotesque to say it that way, but I think that's the way people conceptualize it. The right kind of person will absolutely respect and honor your boundaries. And your job is just to hold those boundaries firm because that's how you build that secure relationship with yourself. And, you know, anything other than that is really self-abandonment and generally doesn't end well. It's certainly not the foundation upon which you build a secure relationship. Okay. So the next question I'm going to answer is why does sex often seem more boring with healthy relationships over toxic ones? How do we build that same sexual intensity into people we have healthier attachments to? I think this is such a good question. I'm sure so many people are going to be interested to hear this and and will relate to it. So obviously there's no single textbook answer, but I'm going to offer some thoughts. And I think the starting point here is for dysfunctional, unhealthy, toxic relationships, at the very core is this sense of intensity and intense highs and lows, right? Unpredictability, chaos, drama. And in that, I think that sexual intensity can sort of flow as a natural consequence of it, of that insecurity, of that fear, of that vigilance, of not knowing where you stand and you know, feeling really insecure one moment and then getting some attention from them the next, it feels even better, right? You know, part of that is why dysfunctional, unhealthy, toxic relationships can be so addictive. You know, you can feel like a junkie for them because when you're starving and when you're so insecure, you don't know where you stand with someone, you don't know what you're going to get, you're so, everything's so unpredictable and inconsistent then 
any sort of connection, any sort of validation, any sort of attention feels so good because the the alternative is feeling so bad, is feeling so afraid and so stressed and so worked up and so alone and all of those things that when this person does show up or when you are connected, it brings such relief to your system, albeit temporarily, that it feels so good, right? So it's like, not only is it a peak experience, but it's even more so by contrast with where you've been, the low that you've come from. So I think when we're on this roller coaster in unhealthy, toxic relationships, like having that same level of chaotic intensity in our sex lives, can we can mistake that for chemistry, right? And this is why I'm always so wary of feeding into the story around chemistry, because I think so many of us are tuned to this level of chaos and whether it's from our own experiences or the cultural narrative or, you know, movies or whatever else that feeds it, I think we associate, you know, that chemistry and intensity and drama even with love and that that means that, like, that's how much we care about each other. It's this passionate romance and love story and we break up and then we have makeup sex and it's all very charged and intense and that means that we have this amazing connection when a lot of the time that can just be pure dysfunction and insecurity. And so I think that looking at that picture and then contrasting it with a secure relationship where you're at a steady baseline, where your system feels safe, where you trust the other person, where you know where you stand with them, where there's not this same like exhilaration of highs and lows and what am I going to get today and having to always be on edge and on guard um, and trying to anticipate what's going to happen and you know, it, it's not that your system is at ease. And so if you've got the the experience or the story that, that like intensity equals love, intensity equals care and desire and connection, then secure, stable, healthy relationships can absolutely feel boring. And again, this is not just sex related, right? People say this all the time, you know, anxious people go like, oh, but I don't feel attracted to secure partners. I don't feel attracted to people who are reliable and who are available to me. I I feel drawn to the ones who aren't. I feel drawn to the unavailable people, the people who don't treat me well. And that's really a telltale sign. Your system is, has this learned response to gravitate towards chaos and unpredictability and intensity. So I think, you know, as a starting point, trying to decouple those things, and that will be part of your broader work in becoming more secure, is that your system starts to sort of unwind its association between intensity and love. And that's a really important, a huge part of the work, right? There's a huge growth edge is to stop associating those two things with one another, because that is so much of our repetition of dysfunctional relationship patterns stems from that association between intensity and love. So I think that sort of organically, as you do that work, it will filter into your sexual relationship. You know, if you are in a relationship where you've got a pretty secure partner and the problem that you're facing is that you don't feel that same level of attraction, that it feels a little bit more vanilla or, you know, unexciting compared to previous relationships where you had these roller coaster highs and lows. I think the goal is really 
to get really curious and start to incorporate, if you can, or if it appeals to you, things like novelty and play and excitement and like how can we spice things up from a secure base. So I think the problem for people who are not in a secure relationship Often they're trying to, you know, spice things up or intensify their sexual relationship from a place of insecurity of thinking that if they don't do that, or if they don't do X, Y, Z sexual thing, then their partner's going to leave them or reject them or cheat on them or whatever. You know, you're in the, the advantageous position of being able to really have open, safe conversations around sex and explore what, what things would be exciting for you sexually. Like, could we do this or that? And, and sort of incorporating more novelty and, and play into your sex life so that it doesn't slip into the mundane, right? Because there is always, of course, a fine line between, yes, safe and stable is good. That's a big part of security is becoming more comfortable with that while also not wanting to let the eroticism in our relationships die out and get to the point where we're kind of just roommates because obviously that's not going to work for a lot of people either. So it is finding that line between keeping it exciting but also not having that excitement fueled by fear or insecurity as is often the case in anxious avoidant or other toxic or dysfunctional relationships. Okay, so the last question I'm going to answer here is how do I talk to my avoidant boyfriend without hurting his feelings? He never flirts with me and sex is routine. Okay, so I want to just start by acknowledging that this can feel really hard. And if you're an anxious person listening to this, I want to just really, you know, validate that it can feel so, so frightening to have these kinds of conversations because not only is it hard as a baseline to talk about needs, preferences, concerns, but to talk about sexual needs, preferences, and concerns can feel just intensely vulnerable right? And so I think we just have to give ourselves a bit of grace that it's not an easy thing to do, that it's really can be, feel really overwhelming and can feel really triggering. So just go really gently with yourself and, and don't beat yourself up for struggling with this. I think that what a lot of people do is they get themselves very worked up when they're concerned about something sexually. The first step is usually, oh no, there must be something wrong with me. Uh, why don't they want to have sex with me? Why don't they want to flirt with me? You know, what did I do wrong? All of that insecurity stuff, taking it personally. And then what can happen is a defense mechanism kind of swoops in and gets kind of indignant and like, you never do this and what's wrong with you? And that's like, you know, our protective parts coming in over the top with a shield and, and sort of trying to keep us safe by making the other person the wrong one because that kind of feels safer and more comfortable than there being something wrong with us. Now, of course, in actual fact, there can be nothing wrong with anyone. uh, But when we're in that fear state, we tend to want to go like, who's the bad guy? Who's done something wrong? Who's right? Who's good? Uh, And we tend to like default into those very dualistic ways of thinking. So I think that when we're in that sort of oppositional frame of mind and coming to these conversations, even if you're trying to be calm, but you're saying things like, oh, you never flirt with me. Even if you're saying that, you know, in what you think is a nice way, your partner's going to pick up on that straight away and get defensive and shut down. So I think that we have to really look at how is this likely to be received and what do I actually want? And this is sort of the, the gold nugget that I want you to take away from this. Whenever you have 
a concern, criticism, complaint, such as my partner never flirts with me, our sex is routine, dig underneath it and figure out what your desire is. So in this case, you know, my partner never flirts with me. I would love for us to be more flirtatious with each other. I'd love for us to feel more, you know, connected and playful. Can I communicate some version of that? Because that to my partner is almost like a compliment. It's saying like, oh, I I love when we do X or, you know, that time when we did Y was really fun. I was thinking the other day about how we used to do this. That was, I, I loved that. Or, you know, do you think we could do that again? Right. We want to flip it on its head and turn it into a positive, turn it into a desire and articulate that because that's much more likely to be received well by someone then saying, you never do this, or it's been two months since you last did this. Why is there something wrong? That's immediately going to put someone on the defensive and they're very likely going to shut down because that's going to feel like an attack. Uh, and you know, that's usually not going to end well. So figure out before you go to that conversation, figure out what it is you actually want and come up with some suggestions and requests, get really specific and then see what happens. Be open-minded. Try to really watch your own defense mechanisms because, again, whenever you're having a vulnerable conversation, and for most couples, a conversation about sex, particularly to begin with, is going to be really vulnerable. So just be mindful of that, right? Go slow. If you notice yourself getting triggered or worked up or defensive or hurt, take a break, slow down, take a big breath because what we don't want is for the conversation to start and then escalate and then become a big fight and then not get resolved. And then it just reinforces this uh, story that you've both got that like sex is a problem area for you because the more pressure that gets heaped on sex in your relationship and the more it gets bound up with conflict and drama and dissatisfaction, then, you know, your avoidant partner is probably going to feel more and more resistance to it because, you know, remembering that for avoidant people, one of their big triggers is feeling like a failure, feeling like they're always letting people down, that nothing they do is good enough. And so we don't want to reinforce that belief for them by creating the situation where they think that you're always angry at them and nothing they do is good enough, right? And of course, like their stories are not your responsibility, but we can be sensitive to these things. So, Try and have the conversation in a way that feels upbeat and light and not really grave and serious and like there's a big problem that you're needing to bring to them. So get clear on the desires and then just try and have the conversation in sort of a a light way and see how you go. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. I hope that this has been helpful. As I said, if you want to dive into this topic in a lot more detail, please do come along to the masterclass next week. You can sign up in the show notes. Otherwise, if you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a five-star rating, leave a review, share it with someone in your life. Um, It all really helps in getting the word out. So thank you so much for joining me and I will see you again next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining me for this episode of On Attachment. If you want to go deeper on all things attachment, love and relationships, you can find me on Instagram at stephanie underscore underscore rig or at stephanierig.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review and a five-star rating. It really does help so much. Thanks again for being here and I hope to see you again soon.